Welcome to Hackney Radio HD. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Hey team, I've got a great conversation for you this week with Maria Victoria Albina. She's a master certified somatic life coach, UCSF trained family nurse practitioner, and breathwork meditation guide. With over 20 years of experience in health and wellness, she brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to our conversation today. She holds a master's degree in public health from Boston University School of Public Health and a BA in Latin American Studies from Oberlin College. In our conversation today, we delve into practical tools and empowering practices to support your journey towards wellness. We start with some definitions and then navigate through self-care, boundaries, nervous system regulation, and a lot more. I had a great time talking with Maria Victoria, and I hope you'll get as much out of this conversation as I did. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash 141. All right, keep on listening to find out some ways to help regulate your nervous system. So yeah, I think we might want to start with somatic coaching. And could you tell me a little bit about what somatic coaching is? Absolutely. So let's back up and be good little nerds here and define (laughs) terms because a lot of people don't know what somatic means. Soma means body in Greek. And so somatic modalities are those practices that support us in coming back into an experience of our bodies in their wholeness. And so what I mean by that is we can throw Descartes the full way under the bus for this one, right? Mm -hmm. The very concept of mind-body dualism. We have come particularly in the West to see the mind and the body as separate things and the body as this meat suit, I hate that term, (laughs) carrying the brilliant, important, vital mind around right? And then that body is further dissected into a doctor for the liver, one for the knees, one for the brain, one for the nose, one for the belly, one for the heart. And in this process, it's been going on for a hot little minute now since the quote unquote enlightenment, we have come to think of ourselves as bits and pieces and not a unified whole. And we have come to see the mind as the thing with primacy and the body as not so friggin' important. Mm -hmm. Somatic practices help us to come back into a profound understanding of the importance of the body as a source and a site of deep wisdom. Mm -hmm. And somatic practices can help us to get in touch with our autonomic nervous system, which runs the show right under the surface along with our subconscious. And so as we get in touch with our bodies, we can remember that there are forces beyond what you're thinking in this one little moment that create your lived experience. And you can support yourself in shifting and changing your lived experience by understanding it in its wholeness. Yeah. It makes me think of stuff where people are talking about like this mind-body connection. And then I'm like, but they're one thing. Totally. And I think that kind of language, it's a remedy on the pathway to saying exactly that Mm -hmm. because we're coming from that mind-body dualism. It's just a bridge. Yeah. I guess also while we're doing some of that term defining, would also be good to talk a little bit about what the autonomic nervous system is. So the autonomic or automatic nervous system is the nervous system that controls the things we don't think about. I don't have to think about my heart rate, my breathing, my circulation. So it's all the automated stuff in the body. Because ADHD or not, I don't think the average human (laughs) has the bandwidth to be like, all right, heart, we're going to do 64 beats per minute. You ready? Beat. Beat. And so praise be to the automatic autonomic nervous system. It does it for us. And the boss of it all is the vagus nerve. And we can dive in there next if you'd like. 
Yeah, let's go into the vagus nerve. So the autonomic nervous system has two parts, fight or flight and rest and digest. Fight or flight is called sympathetic and then parasympathetic is rest and digest. That's helpful enough for most folks. We can then complicate it by looking at the work of Dr. Stephen Porges translated into regular people English by Deb Dana, LCSW. And we can look at their work with polyvagal theory. So polyvagal theory is polyvagus. So there's many parts to the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve, the longest nerve in the human body. Vagus means wanderer in Latin, and it wanders through the entire body, enervating or giving nerve function to pretty much all the good bits from your sense and perception, heart and lungs, your diaphragm, digestion, thyroid, swallow reflex. And so this polyvagal theory helps us to see three different phases in the nervous system that we can depend on as a hierarchy. So we've got ventral vagus, which is the safe and social part of the nervous system, right? That cheeseburger you ate, mm-hmm. getting digested like a champ, the thinking part, doing such good thinkings. We are safe. We are social in this part of the nervous system. When something freaks us out, when we experience a fright, the nervous system automatically takes us into sympathetic activation, fight or flight, which is a state ruled by adrenaline and eventually cortisol, two of our stress hormones that are really rough on the body when they're pumped through the nervous system frequently. These are meant to be a serious emergency break that we don't experience often. But unfortunately, in our modern lives, there's a lot of things that look like lions. And those things are often a text from your mom, an email from your boss, your partner saying, hey, babe, we need to talk, right? And so your body gets activated to punch a lion in the nose or run away from the monster. But it was just a text message. So we get all worked up, we get anxious, we get worried, we get stressed, right? We get nervous, our hands get clammy and our heart rate goes up and our breathing gets really shallow in the top of our chest and we don't think so goodly. If we realize we cannot fight and we cannot flight, then the nervous system will collapse into what's called dorsal vagus. So dorsal means the back body, the back of the animal. And I remember it as your back is against the door of the cave, Mm -hmm. right? Because this is the evolutionary savanna of life, right? You're trying to keep the world at bay by looking as dead as humanly possible. Dorsal is in its extreme is the feigned death response. And this is, you know, slow heart rate, slow thinking. Wait, I'm sorry. What was I talking about? Right. Mm-hmm. That's the experience of being in dorsal. Yeah. You just want to watch Netflix and you know, like you've been scrolling reels for like a half hour and you have no idea what you were looking at, but like, where did that half hour disappear to? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And so that's dorsal. And so that's the disconnection checked out state that our body goes into when we've exhausted our fight or flight. Or when we've learned, because we're not fools, that that's the safest way to be in our family, right? Because mm-hmm. most of these settings get set when we're we kids ages zero to seven is when we get the primary settings for our autonomic, automatic nervous system using the polyvagal framework. Yeah. Just recently, I did a episode on fight, flight, freeze, and fawn as response because of how much ADHD relates with trauma. And absolutely, you get these trauma responses and then you go, yeah, this is just how I'm going to respond to the situation from now on because it feels like the safe way to do things. For sure. I think it's just so important for people to know that that's what they're doing because if you don't have the framework to understand what you're doing, you're just like, yeah, this is just what you do. Yeah, exactly. And then can't get out of those response systems. Right. And so when you do have a deeper understanding of what's going on in the nervous system, and this is what I teach my clients all day long, is to know how to map your nervous system so you know what you are going to do for you ahead of time. Mm-hmm. 
So you don't just find yourself like, oh, surprise, I'm in dorsal. I'm totally checked out. Instead, you know, zero to 10 going into dorsal, right? Where 10 is like wicked checked out. You know when it's like a 0.1, what that feels like in your body. And we do this thing called 911 cards, which is we write out that zero to 10 if I'm feeling myself at a one of going into dorsal or a one of going to sympathetic, here's what I'll do. Awesome. And you've got that written out ahead of time. And you've got it not just, right, because ADHD brain put it in 75,000 places, right? So you've got yeah. and move those things frequently. So you've got it on post-its on the wall in your office. You've got it on the fridge. You've got it on your phone. And it's really, really helpful because from science, we know generally what's helpful. And I'm happy to go through a list of those things, but only you know what's particularly right for your own nervous system. And the more you can map it, the more you know. Yeah. And it's so important that we do acknowledge that we need to have these strategies in place before the thing happens. Because I know when I'm like, mentally, I'm like, oh, when this happens, this is what I'm going to do. That is never what I do because I have that hot, cold empathy gap. I have trouble predicting my actions when I'm in a different state of being. When I'm angry, I'm not going to act how I think I should because I'm like, well, no, I'm angry. These are the things I'm doing. I have trouble predicting how I'm going to act. So what would happen then if you paused while you were feeling those emotions? And this is where someone like a coach could be really helpful to help you in real time or a loved one, right? To say like, hey, I can see that you're angry. What is it that would be supportive for you right now? And it would be also just be like, yeah, I've come up with these things that I think would be helpful, but I'm not going to think to do them at the time. So being like, hey, I've created this list. So now I can look at it and be like, hey, maybe I can try some of these things. I see what you mean. Right on, right on. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for you to try it and let me and your listeners know how did it go? I mean, this is also something I've been talking about with one of my therapists being like, hey, when I have low dopamine, I don't want to do anything other than scroll and eat chocolate chips or something. Right. Should write out some things that I feel like would be good for upping my dopamine when I'm hitting those troughs and being like, okay, because I'm not going to be thinking about them when I'm in it. Right. Exactly. People often ask me, what do I do when? And I'm panicked. What do I do when I'm freaking out or when I'm fully checked out? And I'm like, don't start once you've hit 10. So you start from zero, you start from ventral vagal, you start mapping your nervous system from safe and secure, and you start creating plans from there. And I love that you're doing that for dopamine too. Well, because I feel like any place where I'm not feeling like I'm 100% in control, I need to plan ahead. Because it's so easy to get into one of those states and just be like, well, this is where I am now. That like, I live here now kind of energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all been there of like, well, I guess I'm perma effed and things will never, ever, ever change. The thing that I always reflect on is like, I didn't want to be angry, but man, did I want to be angry at that time. Right. I got angry and I don't want to do the things that I, I'm not going to even think about things that are going to get me out of this state because it's going to do this. Oh. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Of like, I need to feel justified in this emotion. Right. And then feel really bad the next day. Like horrifyingly <laughs> bad. Like wicked, 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 wicked bad. Yep. That's not who I want to be. Right. That's not who I want to be. Another beautiful part of learning to map your nervous system and working with your nervous system is really coming into a deep sense of agency and choicefulness, which for me, that's the biggest reason I do this work and I teach this work is because so many of us walk through the world feeling like we are subjugate to our brains, to our nervous systems, to our inner children. Like they take over and they rule the roost because for most of us, they do. And so what somatics do is it's all about slowing the experience down so we can choose the response we want to have to life instead of being reactive from the patterning and the defaults in our nervous system. 
particularly the folks I work with, are managing what I call emotional outsourcing, mm-hmm. which is codependent, perfectionist, and people-pleasing thinking. And I define emotional outsourcing as chronically and habitually sourcing our sense of wellness, worth, and value from everyone and everything outside of ourselves instead of from within. So of course we're codependent with the people in our lives. Whether we can feel good about ourselves depends on whether they feel good about us. Ouch, right? Yeah. Of course we're perfectionists. They need to think we look absolutely perfect or we're not worthy and valuable. Same thing with people pleasing. We need to keep them happy and please them way more than we believe we need to please ourselves. And so from that framework, when that's the framework in our minds, when that's the baseline story of our existence, it can feel really, really challenging to flip the script and to be responsive in life, to set boundaries, to take care of ourselves when our autonomic nervous system is boom, taking over. So I bring in both mindset work and the somatic or body-based practice because we need them both so we can really have that embodied agency so we can step out of emotional outsourcing and into interdependence. Yeah. Hitting on so many things I know that so many people with ADHD deal sure. with because I've done a lot of work on people-pleasing this year. Right on. Both in writing on it and dealing with it myself. Yeah. And then I'm hearing a lot from the community being like, yeah, this is something I do. For sure. Fits right in with that codependency where you're just like, I'm not comfortable if you're not comfortable. Right. And, you know, I love talking about all of this in theory. I'm a nerd's nerd, right? Like, I love the science of it, the philosophy of it. It's amazing. So I want to take a little moment to share some practical tips with your listeners. Would that be cool with you? Yeah, that'd be great. I'm going to start by saying this. There's two main ways to work with the nervous system. They are, in my mind, equally, profoundly equally important, right? One does not have primacy over the other, not at all. Mm -hmm. One of the things we can do for the nervous system is to support it in healing, right? And we do that. And my training is through somatic experiencing, sensory motor psychotherapy as a coach. I trained in movement for trauma with Jane Clapp. And what all those modalities and trainings all have in common is centering the importance of supporting the nervous system in completing the stress activation cycle. So we can use the brilliance and power of the medial frontal cortex in the brain to rewrite experiences of stress, distress, and trauma as not so terrible. We're not trying to rewrite them as like brilliant and amazing. That was like the best trauma, right? Can you imagine? (laughs) Yeah. But instead, really just to get more towards neutral within the nervous system. And so that is healing the nervous system. That is really beautiful and important work. There's some of it we can do on our own. And for those just starting out, I would recommend working with a clinician, a therapist, particularly if trauma is deeply impacting your life. If you're more stable in your trauma or you're more like me, where I was in something called functional freeze, Mm -hmm. which is when you've got a little bit of sympathetic and a whole lot of dorsal. So I was super functional. I was like getting medical degrees, got a master's in public health, bought a house, got married. Mm -hmm. I was like doing all the things super duper functional, but I was frozen to my feelings. I could not feel. So if you're like me, which is so many of us, particularly so many of us who are emotional outsourcers, a coach could be a great place for you, right? So if you need stabilization therapy, and once you're stable, once you've done that really important work, that's when a coach can step in. And what I'm about to teach you is how to calm the nervous system. People hear the word healing and they think it's better than calming. It's not calming the nervous system is incredibly important because how many catastrophes can be avoided if we just took a moment to calm our nervous system? You know, when you're moving really fast and I was feeling a little sympathetic and I didn't take the time to calm and ground, which is like, okay, 
I'm a human, right? Mm -hmm. And I simultaneously spilled tea on the dog <laughs> while catching my iPhone headphones on the, the drawer pull. You know that one? Yeah. It's such a good one. So it was like this simulcast of like explosion. What felt like a total chaos monkey catastrophe it was not that big a deal in the end of it. But when we are mapping our nervous systems and are present, we can recognize, oh, that zero to 10 that Maria Victoria was talking about. I'm like at a two. I'm going to go ahead and hit my 911 card and I'm going to calm myself down. Right. And every time we choose to calm ourselves down and calm our nervous system without negating what we're feeling, mm -hmm. right? We're not doing any kind of positive vibes only BS. Yeah. We're not spiritually bypassing. We're not emotionally bypassing. We're actively choosing, like consciously and intentionally, to calm the nervous system so we can make the next right choice. Here's one of my absolute favorite tools. What we recognize is when the nervous system is revved up, when we're in sympathetic, when we're in fight or flight. Okay. So for folks with emotional outsourcing, that would be somebody asks you to do something for them. Someone asks you to go out of your way. Someone asks you to do something that is not what you want to do. And you feel that old push within you to say, yes, of course, I'll do anything you want. I'll be everything you want. I will be your rescuer, your savior, your saint, your martyr, your fixer. Me, I'll do it. Love me. Believe I'm valid. Mm. Tell me I'm worthy. Do it. Mm -hmm. That pressure, that internal monologue, kind of semi-dialogue can take our nervous system out of ventral and into sympathetic and then dorsal, right? Yeah. So when you feel yourself leaving yourself and going to like answer right away, because in my world, we do not answer right away. We always give it a day on these things, right? My go-to is whenever someone asks me something now, it's like, I have to check my calendar or I have to check with my wife. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if I really want to do it. Just automatically switch to that answer. Me too. And then often I just will let my ADHD forget that I need to do it. That solves a lot of my yeses. Oh my goodness gracious. All right. Well, that's one pathway. Right. So building in that pause, I like to say, I'll get back to you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. So keeping it internal versus like externalizing it onto something else is what works for me and my people because we're really really healing this emotional outsourcing. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, checking in zero to 10, the sympathetic zero to 10 to dorsal, where are you at? If you are revved up, if you're getting anxious, if you're getting worried, right? If you're in the speedy, the sort of mm -hmm. nervous system cocaine aspect of it, everything's going fast. So we want to slow it down. And so I'm going to invite you to take your paw. If you don't have the capacity to move your paws, I want to invite you to visualize a hand moving. And that can be really, really helpful or use whatever physical capacity you have to approximate this and to make it work for your perfect body. So you're going to take a paw and you're going to take your thumb. You're going to tap it to your first finger and you're going to say one. One. You're going to tap it to your New York finger and say two. Two. Your ring finger and say three. Three. Your pinky and say four. Four. And now come back even more slowly. Four, three, two, one. Now again, right? So you're going to go back. One, two, three, four, four, three, two, one. And you're going to go so slow, it's almost annoying. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the slower you go, the more that you're showing your nervous system. Because sympathetic is the belief that there is a lion crossing the savannah right at me. And it is going to eat my entire face. And the faces of all of those I have ever and could ever love. Now, if there was a lion racing at you and you were looking right at it, you were well aware there was a lion, would you pause to count your fingers? Gotta say, it's probably unlikely. Pretty low on the to-do list there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And so anything we can do to show the nervous system, there's no rush here. We're taking a breath in, long, slow, out, tells your body there's no lion bringing that pause in, like setting a timer on your phone or your watch every 30, 60 minutes mm -hmm. while this is new to you, to pause. 
right? To pause, to breathe out and to either count your fingers or to look around your room. And so that last tool, the looking around your space and orienting your nervous system to your environment is called orienting. So we orient our nervous systems to the environment to let our nervous systems know, I am here in the here and now. Because stress and distress and trauma, particularly when it's the developmental or childhood trauma of growing up with emotional outsourcing, even if your parents were great, even if they took you to karate and ballet and all of the things, but they were misattuned, emotionally immature, not present emotionally, right? Even if there was food and water and all of the trappings, yeah. right? We can still have had developmental trauma of our nervous systems not feeling emotionally safe, right? Particularly as kiddos with ADD and ADHD, mm -hmm. right? Because we're often not seen, right? And so in those moments when that comes up, the, I'm not worthy. Oh crap, I effed up again. Oh, my ADHD is like the worst. I hate my brain, mm -hmm. right? When any of those stories pop up, slow the tape down, find something to count, come back to your environment. And counting is very much purposeful because the limbic system loves a good pattern. And the reptile brain, again, back to our triune brain, which is the three-part evolutionary brain, we can see that we understand that the reptile brain is the oldest part of our nervous system. And it really just wants our survival more than anything. It's very binary in its thinking. And so we can give it really simple tasks like counting, and that really helps it to ground and center and come back to the present moment instead of reacting from a stress, distress, or trauma in the past. So that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And we can do a similar thing of orienting to lift us up out of dorsal by bringing us into the moment. And then once we feel oriented to the environment, right? So with sympathetic, we can count first and then orient. With dorsal, we orient first and then count. So then you might count your fingers and go one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one, because you're bringing activation energy in. But again, mm -hmm. do not pass go, do not collect $200 if you have not oriented your dorsal nervous system. Safety first. There's way too much hashtag somatics on the Instagram these days with people who mm -hmm. took like a five minute course. Yeah. I've been doing this for 20 years. It's for reals, right? Yeah. So that we don't get triggered and have a really miserable time <laughs> for days or weeks. Yeah. It's important to remember that trauma is our body trying to protect ourselves. That's why it's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma is not what happened. It's what your body did in response to what happened. Those survival skills are, yeah, exactly there because your body loves you so much. It loves you so much that it will make you do so many dumb things to protect itself. Except that they're not dumb to the nervous system, right? They're brilliant mm -hmm. and amazing, right? Get defensive and call your spouse a jerk. Your body's like, such a good call. Yeah. Some of the things that my brain got, I'm like, why? This is the worst response we could have come up with. Right. So one more thing I saw that I want to hit on too is taking rest. Yeah. And creating that space in our lives so that we're not always working. We need mental rest and we need physical rest. And it's really hard to set up the boundaries to make that happen. Right. I know I always, years ago, would be like, oh yeah, I just, I work until the work is done. It doesn't matter if it's 1am, I'll have to finish that. I'm like, having kids really taught me I can't do that anymore. I mean, you can, there's just a price to pay, right? Yeah, it became no longer worth yeah. paying that price. And so right. I can't work when they come home from school. Like it doesn't work. It just, I will be driven to madness. So I can't, so I'm like, okay, just have to choose. That's a time I can't work. But that was something that was established for me externally. It was not something like I was like, oh, well, this isn't healthy to do. I should do things differently. Can we talk a little bit about how we build that space? I think we start by looking at the story. It's hard to set limits and boundaries, mm -hmm. right? Because that's how you started us off. So yeah. when we believe that it's hard to do something, our mind says, okay, and then it's hard to do that thing, right? Because your brain believes you. 
-hmm. It's how neuroplasticity works. Your brain believes you. So the things you say into your brain over and over become what you experience as truth, as beliefs. And so if you want to believe that I can set limits and I can set boundaries with less and less guilt, with less and less shame, with greater and greater ease, I'd highly recommend looking at the stories and doing an audit of the stories you currently carry around limits and boundaries. And some questions would be, what do I believe about myself if I set limits and boundaries? What do I believe about others? Right? They'll be upset with me. They'll be disappointed. They'll be mad at me if I set limits and boundaries. How have I experienced people setting limits and boundaries in the past? So maybe you had a parent who was terrible with boundaries and limits, mm -hmm. right? They never set them. Or who was incredibly rigid and you felt really caged in by their boundaries and limits. So what's your truth? What's your experience? right? How are you experiencing limits and boundaries within your nervous system as a historical occurrence that's written into the fabric of how you react to life? So really starting there is the most important place because just say, like, I could be like, okay, so you're just going to say, if you do X, I'll do Y. And by the way, that is my math mm -hmm. for setting boundaries. But if you don't know, not just your mindset, but how your nervous system is going to respond and react to boundaries, forget about it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to last for two hot seconds when someone's like, hey, parent, I want you, I need you. Mm -hmm. Or hey, spouse, hey, child, wow, why aren't you coming home for this holiday? Why can't you? Why won't you? Right? When there are demands upon our time, our volition, our, our experience, we will crumble if we are not grounded in our somatic experience, in our bodies, in our nervous system around those decisions. Does that make sense as a starting point? Oh, absolutely. And I can see just right on how strong that emotional outsourcing plays into that. For sure. The reason I'm not setting boundaries is the people pleasing. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, if I don't do this, oh. something will happen. Oh. And right. They will not be pleased with me. And then that means that when the lions come or when the marauders come to destroy our village, they will not pick me up and run out of the village with me, say our inner children. Right? That's what our inner six-year-old says. I am in literal, mortal, existential danger if I don't please these people and keep them pleased with me. So why would I set a boundary? I'm not a fool. I might keep my mouth shut and I'm going to stay miserable, but then I'll stay alive. I will be the most loved person here. Right. Well, my inauthentic self will be the most loved person here. Yeah, precisely. Right. A false self will be the most loved person here. And yo, that's that's some rough sauce. Yeah, because when you're like, well, I'm not really that person either. Right? So I'm not loved. That fake person's loved. Exactly. And that is the core and the crux of emotional outsourcing. We believe we need to chameleon and shapeshift and not be our authentic self so that we can survive and be safe and have at least some modicum of love. Because we're seeing it that as an other than ourselves, too. It's just like, right. oh, yeah, I'm still not worthy of love, even though I've done all these things to be worthy of love. Yeah, it's amazing just how tied together all of this is often, because we often be like, there's all these things. And then you go, well, you look at it, it's just one thing, kind of. Yeah, totally. And that one thing for humans as mammals is safety. And then the next level up mm -hmm. is significance and belonging. In order to feel safe, it is important that I feel significant, like I matter in this community and that I belong, right? Mm -hmm. And so Absolutely. we will do anything <laughs> to yeah. seem like people who uh, have significance and belong, right? Yeah. And what's really important to me to say before we wrap up is that this is all reversible, right? This is rewirable. Mm. You're not hardwired. The reason I came up with the term emotional outsourcing is because I wildly reject the label of codependent. 
I fully, fully reject it. I think calling oneself a codependent is harmful because it posits that there's no way out and that you're permaaft and this is just what it is. But the science shows that change is so wildly and beautifully possible and change happens when we believe that change is possible. And so the work I do with my clients, both in Anchored, which is my six-month program, and the Somatic Studio, which is my three-month program in Anchored, we focus on emotional outsourcing through the lens of so codependent perfectionist and people-pleasing habits. We bring in somatics, thought work, and breathwork in the Somatic Studio, which is just what it sounds like. It is a beautiful place to learn about and practice somatics and bring that into your life. And what we do in both settings is really focus on rewiring the mind and the neural pathways in the body so that we're not on that automatic, autonomic, reactive train anymore. We're able to pause. We're able to breathe. We're able to regulate our nervous system, meaning give it just the right amount of gas and the right amount of break so that we can come back into ventral vagal. We can create that safe and social container for ourselves, and we can be responsive from a sense of agency and choicefulness. We can pick what we want to say instead of our nervous system blurting out, well, you're a jerk or no, that's fine. I didn't want to go anyway. It's fine. It's fine. No, I mean, like, I'm probably going to cry about not going for like at least the next 7,000 years, but it's totally fine. If you don't want to go, that's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm don't, I'm fine. Instead, we have choicefulness and we can say things like, I'm really disappointed that you're making this decision. I feel hurt when you change our plans last minute. And I'm going to take care of me and I'm still going to go, even though I hear you saying that you're no longer available to go. And saying something like that was wildly unimaginable when my own nervous system was dysregulated and when I was awash in emotional outsourcing. And now it's just my norm. And that feels, it feels dope. It feels rad. Yeah. It feels awesome. Life is so much more better on this side of emotional outsourcing and nervous system regulation. That sounds like something that a lot of people are also going to look forward to because change is possible. Change is possible. Yeah. If people wanted to find out more and where to find you online, where should they go? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on the gram at Victoria Albina Wellness. I give good gram. You can head on over to victoriaalbina.com slash hacking for a super special treat that I made just for your listeners. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, it is. I'm, yeah. I want to find out. <laughs> yeah, right on. So it is a suite of nervous system orienting exercises, inner child supporting meditations, and so much more. It's free. So like legit, why not? So that's at Victoria Albina, A-L-B as in boy, I-N-A dot com slash hacking. And you can put your name and your email in and download that suite for free. Thank you for being a listener and for hanging out and checking out this episode. This was a super fun convo. Yeah. And I'll have all that stuff up in the show notes so people can get to it easily. Right on. And I learned a ton and I am Excited to practice this with myself, practice it with my kids because they need that regulation sometimes too. Yeah, for sure. Kids really, really are looking to us as their grownups to be a regulated force in their lives and to show them how to regulate their own perfect, sweet little nervous system. So thank you for doing that for your littles. That's beautiful. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. One, by familiarizing ourselves with our autonomic nervous systems, which controls our automatic bodily functions, we can work on mapping our nervous system to help keep ourselves regulated by understanding what state that we're in. Two, 
It's important for us to prepare strategies in advance and create a list of coping strategies and self-care practices that we can refer to when we find ourselves in a particularly high or low state of emotion. Three, when you feel revved up, anxious, or worried, take a moment to pause and assess where you are on a scale from zero to 10. This self-awareness can help you recognize when you're in a state of sympathetic activation and need to slow down. Four, recognize that change is possible and that emotional outsourcing and codependency are not fixed states. We can engage in practices like somatics, breath work, and thought work to rewire our mind and nervous system. This can help us respond to situations with agency, set healthier boundaries, and cultivate a sense of safety, significance, and belonging in a more authentic way. And before you go, I wanted to remind you of that link that Maria Victoria mentioned, victoriaalbina.com slash hacking, to get some great tips on how to regulate your nervous system. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. Feel free to connect with me over at hackingyouradhd.com slash contact. If you'd like to read this episode's transcript, you can go to the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com slash 140. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do so is to let someone you know about the show, especially if you think a particular episode would resonate with them. Just click the share button on your podcast player, or you can consider supporting me on Patreon. Just go to hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon to find out more. And now for your moment of dad. I've heard some scientists don't believe that the nervous system even exists. It's just the lack of confidence system that they're worried about. 